All right. <laughs> um, welcome to the uh, Slow Twitch podcast. Um, we are in uh, Germany uh, this week at uh, Challenge uh, Roth um, with uh, with Felix, the uh, the CEO and president of the race. Now, the the first question that I have for Felix today is: What is how is the proper way to pronounce Roth? <laughs> There are many ways. Actually, uh, the Germans would say Root. Um, the Americans and English ones would say Roth. Um, uh, the Portuguese, the Brazilians would say Och. So many different ways, and we're going to understand it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. How are you this week? Uh, nervous um, and excited. Okay. So it's, uh, it takes us 15 months for those 15 hours of racing, and uh, we'll go in and out of the office every day and we don't really see a result. And uh, now in, in race week, everything is coming together. The build-up has started, um, the flags are out, athletes are coming. So for us, it's actually like Christmas and uh, birthday uh, all in one week. Ah, that's amazing. Now you say 15 months, but there's 12 months in a year. Yeah. That means you start planning before. Yeah, it comes uh, about January, February. We start planning okay. uh, for the year after. For example, next year we have the European Soccer Cup. So LED screens, tents, porta loos, um, barriers, all is going to be very tight. So we have to pre-order those. Yeah. Um, then we speak with um, uh, uh, RM in Germany about dates. Where are we going? Where are they going? So that we don't have any clashes. Then we speak with the federation. We speak with the TV um, stations, and then we fix the date. And from there on, we are starting the, the planning. Okay. So you just said something very interesting there. Um, you do work directly with races around here to make sure that you're not on top of each other from Absolutely. a safe perspective. Absolutely. It's always bad for the community because the community gets split, the expo participants get split, media gets split, and it's just, um, yeah, not good for the sport. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, Ironman and the PTO can start doing that together next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to meet with us. I know that um, it's an extremely busy week for you. And so for you to take out a moment of your day, we we appreciate it. And so does our, our community. Um, I wanted to start off the podcast with just a little bit about uh, the history of the race mm -hmm. and, and, and having you talk about Um, when the race started, um, you know, who started the race mm -hmm. um, and where it's evolved um, over the last um, 30 years almost. So uh, next year it's going to be 40. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 1984 is, yeah. I believe, when it started. It actually started earlier. It started 1982. Uh, 1982 was uh, the year when uh, the best friend of my father, Detlef Kühner, went to Hawaii. He was the first German to do uh, Kona. Oh, wow. And um, he came back in 83 and did it again. And then he just said, okay, this is so crazy. Let's do it here in Franconia. And um, so the athletics club and him organized the first uh, ever triathlon, was an Olympic distance, in 84. So that's our roots. And then it went very quickly from the Franconian championship to Bavarian championship, German championship, European championship. And then um, Detlef was speaking with Valerie Silk and Roth got the first Ironman in Europe. This was also why it wasn't called Ironman Road, but Ironman Europe, because it was the single one. Yeah. 
when it started out in 1984, it was a shorter distance, correct? Yeah. What were those dis distance that, that it used to be? The, the Olympic distance, okay. the actual Olympic distance. We hosted it uh, here in Roth already. We moved from time to time from a, a sporting club uh, onto an open road in Rod. Um, and then finally, we came here to the so-called Festplatz. It's um, the festival area where uh, the uh, big beer fest and stuff like this happen. And um, to continue the story, my dad was always the announcer of the event and did the marketing for the event. And my mom always did the PR work for the event. And so they got involved from the beginning on. I was four when the first triathlon started. I had a volunteer shirt, size S, that went below my knees, sending out sponges. And um, then it, it grew and it developed. And then um, 2001, Detlef uh, Kunal uh, decided to retire and asked my dad, who was responsible for Tourism Nuremberg, um, if he would like to take over the race. And um, he did. And then um, back in the time, it was Lou Freeland um, on the helmet of Ironman. And there were several talks. And then um, the demands from Ironman were so obscure that um, they decided this is not the way how, how we could go. So for example, it was asked that we um, do a mass start in the channel. Um, which would mean uh, over 3,000 people in a channel 25 meter wide, and we only use half of the channel because we're going up and down, and that was just too dangerous. And then um, also they demanded that we only would do a single loop course, which would have destroyed Solar Hill. Those are the pictures that go out of Roth. Right. And then also like little things that were just totally unacceptable that uh, they wanted 10% of every club or team that organizes a hotspot uh, about their earnings uh, right. of selling sausages and beer. And this doesn't work here in, in our community. And then dad decided, okay, look, this is not the way how he saw the event and he decided to um, stop the relation with Ironman and go independent. And I think back then he was really the only person who believed in this project. Um, Mom was skeptic, we were skeptic, the whole team, the whole directors were skeptic, um, but everyone was loyal to dad and um, we, we went down this path. And now looking back after 20 years of challenge, it was just the best thing we could do because the decision, decisions are being made here in Roth with the community, with the mayors, with everyone involved. We don't have to ask anyone. And um, yeah, this is uh, how how Roth came to be as it is today. Yeah, wow, that's that's fascinating that um, to hear that about the history and the decision that your father made to stay private. Yeah, um, and I, I should say really to go private um, because you were a part of that that Ironman series, and and it sounds like from the the. Uh, the, the cookie cutter status quo back then yeah. um, that just didn't make a whole lot of sense for the local community that exactly. was here. Um, whether that's financially, whether that is uh, from a, from a safety participation standpoint and, or um, the swim start, yeah. um, which how ironic now that, uh, you know, Ironman has, has figured that out from a swim start perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, no longer doing mass starts, just uh, safety issues and things like that. So, um, but, you know, it, it's interesting how you talk about that was the best decision that you've, you've made um, in hindsight now. And that, you know, probably leads to our next conversation is, um, you know, um, 
where are we at in 2023 with a with your numbers? Uh, because you're completely sold out. Yeah, we <clears throat> we are keeping the numbers at 3,500 uh, single participants and then 650 relay teams. And we had those numbers before COVID and also now after COVID. I don't want to um, put any more athletes in because I'm afraid that our quality would go down. Mm -hmm. um, we have 7,500 volunteers. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. More volunteers than competitors. Um, and they are going to see it, for example, in transition two, uh, we have um, 1,200 volunteers working in shifts and um, you'll stop there. The bike is being taken away. You're being handed over your bag. Um, we have uh, personnel in the tent who is going to change you. Uh, then we have the sunscreen uh, team who is uh, giving you sunscreen and then we send you off on, on the run. And it's amazing to see that. And um, if we would increase the numbers, I would be afraid that we get drafting issues, that we uh, can't keep up the quality of everything, the pasta parties, um, the, the feeling when you run down the shoot, if you have 50 people around you, that, yeah, it's just not the same than if you do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got 3,000 athletes that are doing the individual race, and then you have over 600 relay teams. Yeah. Now, a relay team consists of usually three participants. Do you have situations where there's just two or is it a three? Um, seldomly. Uh, in emergency cases, when someone drops out um, uh, early in the morning or something like this, we can also swap that because the what we always fear is that one of the relay team members might do the race um, but is actually sick but he does it for the two companions and we are afraid of that situation. So um, uh, relay teams can change kind of until swim start. Um, or decide, okay, we'll be two instead of the three, just okay. for safety. So you're still looking at 5,000 athletes yeah. on, on course, which is a massive amount of people yeah. to, to be able to, to go from a safety perspective. Um, talk to us a little bit about your expo, which I am really excited to look at again. And, you know, the last time I was here was uh, 2011. Um, I had to, I had to look that up on slow twitch actually, mm -hmm. cause I, I kind of forget, I use slow twitch and Facebook to, uh, to remember, remind you. Yes. Where I've been. Um, now your expo is huge and, and we're going to have some, some pictures on an article as this podcast goes up, of just how big it is. Um, talk to us a little bit about the strategy that you've had not only um, with your partners, but particularly your expo. Because if you are at an Ironman in North America right now, it's a ghost town in the expos. How have you been so successful over here? I think it comes down to our overall concept of being completely inclusive for everyone. That also comes down until the expo. For example, we don't have exclusivities for our sponsors. So we want everyone to be on the expo. We have a great partner with Power Bar, for example, for the chairs and bars and the drinks and everything. Um, but of course, we, we can't uh, pretend, hey, there's only Power Bar. There is nothing uh, else out there and the athlete who comes in for example needs a goo should be able to buy a goo there you know so i don't like the concept of excluding uh, companies people or whatever else so um, of course we have uh, exclusivities for our sponsors in the race and um, on the banners and the stadium and everything but on the expo we want everyone to come and this is why the expo grew so massively so it's the biggest triathlon expo now uh, worldwide and it's just because we we are open for everyone 
and the athletes really love it because it's such a big fair and they come and uh, even athletes come who are not racing but uh kenyan is coming with a huge truck eco is coming with a huge truck you know they're showing the news products they are doing product launches here so it's all every day it's something new and something really interesting um, all the sponsors uh, get their pro athletes there for autograph sessions and, and stuff like that. So it's really, really cool. And it's a big asset of us um, uh, for the community. Yeah. Any, any pushback from the sponsors on the exclusivity aspect of it? No, no, no. because we're very, very open to it. Um, of course, a lot of sponsors, because Ironman is working on this exclusivity aspect, so a lot of sponsors know about it and say, hey, we want to have exclusivity on the expo. And then I say, hey, okay, then we will not reach a deal yeah. because we don't negotiate on that point. Right. Yeah, that's that's amazing. How big is the expo? How many how many vendors do you have? I think this year it's 125 and it's <laughs> thousands of square meters. So oh, it's fine. really, really big. Um, and it's cool uh, because they're bringing their coolest stuff. Uh, Garmin is bringing uh, containers, you know, that they have rebuilt and, and show all their watches. Uh, um, it's they bring really, really cool yeah. installations, and yeah. we love it. It's yeah. it's not just a three times three pop up tent. Right. Yeah. You have so you have over a hundred and twenty participants that are vendoring at the actual expo. Yeah. So yeah. that's at least hundred and ten, ten by ten booths. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's. And we are also at the absolute limit. Yeah, and um, <laughs> we we don't have a square inch left on the on the fest plots for yeah. to, to grow it. But yeah, it's it's big, it's it's colorful, it's cool. Um, um, all the people who come here for the expo to exhibit um, bring their their newest trends, and it's really really nice to just hang out there and, and see it. Yeah. So okay, so you you're at your capacity with participants in the mm -hmm. race you're at your capacity with sponsorships and vendors mm -hmm. um, it's a post-covid year mm -hmm. uh, numbers across our industry particularly with the big races mm -hmm. are all down yeah. you are not um, why is that it's numbers are down and in Germany also uh, volunteer numbers are going down after COVID. And we had a lot of races uh, that stopped this year, which is a really um, big headache for, for our industry here, for the organizations, triathlon organization industry. Um, we didn't have that problem on the volunteer side as well. Um, but I think because Roth has always delivered in the last years and people can really trust on us. If it was on COVID, we, uh, we announced that we cannot do the race, athletes will get their money back. Point, end of the game. Next week, they had their money, you know. We were always building on trust. And we always, um, or I always, want my organization to behave as I'm the most critical customer. And if it's good for me, then it's normally good for, for everyone. You know? yeah. And um, this is our philosophy behind it. And I think because we have built the trust over the years, the people know exactly, okay, it costs a lot of money, yes, but this was this was a lifetime experience, you know. It we get so many emails saying, "Hey, this is in the top ten of my life after the birth of my child and my marriage comes yeah. my finish here in Roth. and it's meaningful. And um, it also means for us, athletes are giving us a lot of money a year in advance, and trust in us that one year later we will deliver an amazing experience for them. And it puts pressure on us, you know. Yeah. Um, and I like the pressure. And um, our goal is always not to fulfill um, what they expected, but to exceed. And 
I think we have done really well in the last years. And I think if you're in the industry and always make your customer happy, then you will be always there. Yeah. How many people do you employ? Full-time staff, 10 um, plus um, two freelancers. Um, and then we have 38 directors for all the different um, sections of, of the race. We have 10 in athlete services, and then we have the 7,500 volunteers. Yeah. So about 50 people, Yeah, 10 of which are full-time, Yes. two interns, yeah. and then 7,000 volunteers yeah. um, are responsible for the largest triathlon in the world. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so it, it sounds like the the key to your success has been to essentially treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Absolutely. Um, talk to us a little bit about inheriting this responsibility from your dad. It was a very tough one uh, for me, I have to admit. Um, dad took over in 2002. In 2003, during the race, we had to bring him to our own uh, race hospital because he was not well. And um, some alarm bells rang and um, he got better after the race and looked like okay. And every morning before the office, he went for a run and he got slower and slower and he couldn't breathe as he was able to breathe before. And then after a long um, time, we found out that he had a very, very seldom lung disease. Um, that made the lung to stop absorb oxygen. And there is no cure, there is no medication, there is nothing against it, and it means you're dying. And we were very, very lucky. 2005, we got a double-side lung transplantation in Munich. And a year before that, he was on the waiting list for the transplantation, and um, I had to jump in. I was at uni. I had the midterm in, in uh, uni. And it was like, okay, Felix, either you leave uni and uh, help out in the office or we have to close the whole thing down. Because Herbie was on, on intensive care units for nearly a year before the transplantation. And then um, I jumped in, um, inscribed myself at a private university. So I worked Monday to Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon until Sunday evening, I went to uni and then uh, Monday work again. So it was uh, really tough two years, especially with the family situation as well on, on the health aspect of my dad. And um, early January, 2005, we got the transplantation and he survived the transplantation nearly two years, um, but he couldn't work anymore as he used to. So he was always the visionary. Um, he was feeding us with, with new ideas, the sub nine club, the sub 10 club, everything is still out of his brain. You know, it's his brain, Charles, um, uh, to, to open up after the Ironman time to not only have a race on Sunday, but have a fun run, have a kids run, have a, uh, challenge women fun run 5k, have a, uh, junior challenge, have a, um, uh, race on Friday night for companies and everybody, uh, music uh, concerts on the market square. This is all his, his out of his feather. So, and we still continue it because he always called it the International Triathlon Festival. And we wanted to get away from this one day of racing, but we wanted to um, be more inclusive and also offer something to the family members who travel with the athlete. And um, he then died in 2007 
was a really crazy year because the athletes uh, produced black bands for the upper arm mm -hmm. saying, thank you, Herbie. And it poured the whole day. It, it was the only rain, rain day we had after his death. And interestingly enough, Yvonne van Flergen did a world record on, on this day. And she came in with the black band and we yeah. all cried. <sighs> Makes me still emotional. Um, and um, yeah, it was then up on me to kind of preserve his legacy and continue his legacy. And I, I was under the firm belief I have to do what he, um, he would have done, which only years after and two burnouts later, I found out, well, no, it, I should bring in my handwriting. I should bring in my ideas, you know, and only when I realized that the race again really grew and, and, um, yeah, we, um, we did new things and, um, I could, yeah, I could just, uh, try new stuff Yeah, and it was really, um, a freeing moment, you know, and still I, I absolutely firmly believe that it's all in his will, you know, he mm -hmm. wanted me to do that. You yeah. Know? And it, a lot of things came together because back then we realized sponsors would not pay uh, premiums to pro athletes if they race in Roth because Roth was a single standing event in a sea of Ironman races. And the pro athletes came to us and said, Hey, we would really love to race with you, but we are not getting any bonuses. And then I said, okay, if you're not getting any bonuses, we have to form our own series worldwide. Only then we are credible. And so I began to, to form challenge family and, and grow, um, challenge family. And, um, I did this for many years and that was also the time when I, uh, went into, uh, yeah, to burnouts because I was traveling every week. I was on different continents every week because I wanted to see the races myself. I wanted the rough quality to be in those races because I was standing uh, for that with my name and, um, it was just too much. And then also the, yeah, in hindsight, I would even talk of a war when, when Iron Man then bought the organizers and took away the races and every time it was a huge hit for me, you know, and then I saw, okay, um, it really wears me out and um, what is it that I really, really like? And then um, I came up to my mom and sister and said, look, we're going to sell Challenge Family or I'm selling my parts. You can continue. I won't. I want to reconcentrate on Roth. I want to do the thing I really love. I have achieved all my goals. The pros were getting bonuses now because there was a series. We are credible. Roth is stronger than ever before. And so we, we sold all the shares. We are still in really, really good contact with Challenge Family and we love our colleagues and um, we are a proud member of the family. But for me personally, I'm very happy to, to be only the race director in Roth. Right. And, and um, that's my playing field. Okay. All right. So you, so your, your dad passed. Yeah. Um, you took over the reins. Um, it took you a couple of years to come to your own decision that, that, that this was now your baby. I was 24 years when I was thrown in this situation. Yeah. You were it a baby. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a baby. Yeah. And we I didn't was, think that we were babies when we were 24, <laughs> but now that we're 40, we look yeah. at 24 year olds yeah. and we, we know that we're, yeah. we were a baby. Yeah. I was totally afraid, you know, 
oh my God, when I go to the big sponsors, will they actually believe me with 24 years? You know, yeah. will they will they accept me? So there was a lot of self-doubt back then. And yeah. um, it was a really interesting time, a really tough time. Um, but I've learned the best things out of that uh, dark period. Um, I, um, I did a lot of um, studies aside from, from working, leadership, um, uh, coaching. Um, I'm a trained coach now, and that really helps also here in the office now, you know, because yeah. I can so better sense, okay, how are my colleagues, you know, are they fine? Do they need something, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think we're now so strong because I went through those dark period, but learned so much from it. And now I'm a really happy person. Yeah. So you... So just kind of getting back to you, one of the things that you did when you decided that you were going to do your own thing was based on feedback from pro athletes, you, you went out and you tried to grow challenge and, and you hit a bunch of roadblocks there. Mm -hmm. Um, it sounded like, um, the old iron man came back and tried to buy up everything and, and did what they did back in the day. Um, I'm not saying that they still don't do that a little bit now, um, but there definitely was a period where they were just, they were dicks. Like they went in and just tried to buy up everybody and push them out. And I mean, there's, there's no disputing that at all. And, and so at that point you decided that you didn't want to do that. You didn't want to have those arguments and fights and legal uh, cases. Yeah. And so you just, you, you left, you, you sold that portion of, of the business um, and, and you kind of came back to your roots and, and, and your whole focus ever since then has been to um, continue to build this community and this race. Talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've done since you took over that, that you're really proud of that were that were your ideas. One of the things I'm most proud of, I just talked about, was um, when I uh, got a coach and, and I so much better understand all the different things hanging together. Um, during the year, I'm on most of the evenings, I'm out meeting volunteers, uh, meeting officials, meeting with all the fire brigades here that we need to close our roads with the police and everything. So I'm so well connected that if there is a little fire somewhere in the county about challenge, I'll know about it on the next day and I can extinguish it. So there is no bush fire coming from it, you know, and it is not easy. We are closing down a whole county, you know, um, uh, traffic issues and everything. But because of us being always present, uh, we are spending, I think every year about 50,000 euro for uh, social things, especially on kids here in the uh, community. We were very, very involved in the Ukrainian help uh, when the war broke out and, um, here in the office, everything was full of clothes and everything that we shipped over to Ukraine. And just by really being here, living here, um, having the roots here and being a member and a proud member of the community here, I think this was the, the biggest change. It, the community is strong. The community is um, absolutely looking forward to receive the athletes, especially the internationals, because we are not a travel destination apart from those two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Now, recently you just did a, um, a, a deal with, um, with uh, what is it, um, Tough Man, New York, mm -hmm. to, to offer them 30 slots uh, to come to Roth. Yeah. Now, you're sold out every year. 
is is there a, is there a push to get more Americans over here? Um, why do the deal if you're already sold out? I think it's two reasons. Um, one is um, they ask us for help because they're struggling a bit. And I remember the times when we were struggling and I would have loved someone to help me out, you know. So that is uh, one reason. The other reason is um, the numbers from the US um, grew a lot in the last years, even after the pandemic. And we were really afraid because you all know the international travel was a completely mess, still is not as easy or cost effective as it was before. It is expensive. And we want to grow the uh, US um, participants here. And it's, yeah, I think those two reasons uh, is why we tried it. And it's a trial and, and we'll have a look into it, how, how it works. And then we'll see where we go from there. We, we do a lot of um, those things also with colleagues in Austria, um, uh, from St. Pölten, for example, great bunch of people. They asked us also for help. And yeah, it's we are, we are living in a community and yeah. the whole community has to grow. And I also want to um, point this out because I was speaking a little bit bad about Ironman. We are not against Ironman anymore or anything. I think we have found our place um, and we can only grow the community if everyone is working together. And that's the big ask to, to Andrew um, to come back to the community, to, to come back on the, um, on the same table, to speak, to especially after Hamburg, to make things better. You know, This is really what we need now. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, with, with the slots, particularly to Tough Man, um, now these are these aren't free slots. These are guaranteed slots to the race. Yeah. Um, explain to to the listeners how do you get into Roth? <laughs> it's quite difficult nowadays. Um, the easiest way actually is to come to the event um, when we have the huge laser show and fireworks um, off. People start queuing up, and they start at midnight and. The queue in the morning is until city center. It's crazy. We offer 1000 slots for people who are here on the place. So you can buy for yourself or for a friend. Oh, wow. Um, uh, but only one per person. Right. Um, 1000 single and 200 relays. And so that's actually the safest um, uh, situation. And then the rest of the slots are going out the Monday after the event online, first come, first serve. And normally it takes less than 30 seconds that all the slots are gone. Have you ever had your servers crash during that? Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> um, we're very lucky. We're working with Mika timing. They're also doing the application for Berlin marathon and those yeah. really big events. Yeah. So they use the same server cluster for us. Mm -hmm. And they say the, the push per slot is as big as for London Marathon or Berlin Marathon. Yeah, it's quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. Do you do you have numbers that you're willing to share of how many people try to get on to? Uh, for 2023, it was 30,000 trying to get a slot. 30,000 yeah, people. Crazy. That's like a Taylor Swift concert. Yeah. It's, it's in a also, small part of America. <laughs> it's also really, really funny when you see the, uh, and you'll see it yourself and, and go out there on Monday morning. It's an amazing bunch of people we had last year we had um, athletes they flew over with Ryanair arrived Saturday night I think 11 o'clock to Nuremberg they made their way out to the swim start to watch the race after the fireworks they uh, sat down with their um, on, on their camping mats um, got the slot and flew back on Monday night they didn't uh, take a hotel or anything 
to have a, a slot. We had buses coming from uh, France of a whole tri club because they wanted to race together. So they came with a bus and everyone queued up. It's yeah. it's crazy. It's like when Apple has a new product in store. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. really really cool. Man, that's that's awesome. What what's the what's the future of Roth, Felix? Is it's it a, is it? Uh, you say you're maxed out. Yeah. Um, are you ever going to go to two days of racing? No, no, no. Um, we always get this this question okay what's next how you will you grow how will you grow your business well we don't really need to grow the business it's a family business owned by my mom my sister and me and our biggest wish is that the two boys from my sister will take over at some stage they're already playing triathlon in the garden and yes yes the biggest fans of my uh, homestay was talking about that yeah. uh, this morning over breakfast how um how they're just they're walking around and they yeah. want to see the finish line and yes and uh how she's by the way she's a fan of you she okay. oh my gosh she's she's almost she's she's borderline stalkerish she yeah. she goes where you go all the time she <laughs> loves you so much and we um, have with more than a thousand homestay families yes. for our international guests and it's so amazing yes oh it's the best i you know, it's funny. I was talking to Belinda, Belinda Granger earlier in the hallway. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I love coming to Europe is because the food is so much better over here. And um, but the, uh, the the homestay this morning, um, because I'm American, she, and you know, and she asked me what I normally eat for for breakfast, and I said I usually just grab some toast or something. So she went to the store and she bought me American classic bread. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Really, you know, and I was just like, "Oh, this is exactly why I didn't come to you." Yeah, yeah, but yeah. at the same time, it was so sweet that I was yeah. just like, "But I did get to eat some of her homemade jam on, on it, awesome. so that was that was pretty awesome." So you know, the so it sounds like the future of Roth is just to to maintain yeah. and to continue to build and hold that stronghold in the community here. Yeah, it actually is because. I'm seeing a lot of shakeup in the community, especially after the decision to leave Kona um, and have the, the Kona niece situation, everything also to split men and women. Um, I can understand some points, but I doubt that those are the real points um, because I strongly believe that our roots in triathlon is everyone, men, women, same day, same course. Um, and this makes Ross special this year because it's the only big event with all the pros coming, men and women, um, being with age group athletes on the same course on the same day. And of course, we want to um, uh, give the women a fair chance. And we do it by having um, uh, three um, TV cameras on the men's pros and three on the women. And we talk to the production companies and we want same airtimes, you know, for women and men. And... I think we can do a lot for equality and we have um, a lot of meetings with pro athletes before the event. A lot of different things have been developed out of that. Uh, Laura Siddle is one of the big voices on those uh, committees over the last 10 years already, you know, and of course it's about equality and, and fairness and everything, but I think Ross shows that it is possible. And what would happen if I say, okay, for example, let's race on the Saturday and the Sunday. Let's do the relays on the Saturday, the um, uh, single uh, participants on the Sunday. I would ask my volunteers, 7,500, to work 
for two days. Yeah. I closed down the county for two days. We saw what happened in Kona. And exactly the same would happen here. And I'm not willing to take any risk on the community. I'm not willing to take any risk on the volunteers. And as I said, we don't need to grow. What I want is to maintain the highest uh, possible quality level there is in triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, if anything, uh, last year, Kona definitely, I, you know, I think they taught everybody that uh, two days of racing is just too much. Yeah. Um, it was, I couldn't even get through it. It was not alone the, you know, the operations teams that were up, you know, 48 hours and the volunteers. And, um, you know, I got to go home at 10 o'clock and get, yeah. you know, three or four hours of sleep before the next one. And it was just, it was insane. Talk to us a little bit about your new media rules and regulations mm -hmm. for, for this year, because they, um, in hindsight, um, they're, they're what probably Ironman is going to now after, um, that, you know, the unfortunate Hamburg incident, um, which is a, which is a very good thing. Um, but talk to us a little bit about how that's changed because you, you know, you've dramatically changed access to the course, which is dramatically going to change how we as media have covered in the past and, and probably how we're going to start having to cover things in the future. Yeah. It all started when Patrick Lange called me after the event. And that's always the time when we reassess everything and see what is good, what is bad, what worked, what didn't work. We get the athlete surveys in. Um, and then we take about two months to just investigate where can we go better. And in that time, Patrick called me and said, Felix, I have had more watts on the bike um, last year um, than in comparison to when I won the event and I could not catch up the lead group. Uh, is it possible that there were too many motorcycles? And I'm on a motorcycle myself, so they obeyed the rules, but I think the rules are wrong. It's just, you, you are allowed 15 meters behind a motorcycle, and this is absolute BS. Yeah. It's, it's way too near. So here in Roth, they have to stay 50 meters at least, you know, and we urge the Federation to go over those rules because they're just not fair anymore. And then he also connected me to Sam Long, and Sam Long uh, had a problem on our course last year when a police motorcycle driver um, was in front of him and blocked him, you know? And I said, okay, we, we have to work on that. This is not gonna um, uh, happen a second time. And then we formed a group of pro athletes. Um, Patrick Lange was in there. Um, Sam Long gave us a lot of feedback, which I really appreciated. Um, uh, Laura Siddle, Laura Philip, um, and we all met uh, virtually and um, we said, okay, how can we uh, increase or make the situation better with the motorcycles? And we kind of understood that in that point, we need to be a bit black and white. Normally, I really like the gray shades, but in that point, we really have to take the media motorcycles out. Um, Nowadays, who is media and who is uh, um, applying for a motorcycle? For you, I would say total media, no worries. But then we have influencers, then we have sponsors, then we have a lot of managers. We have photographers of athletes. Is it fair that a motorcycle uh, is driving next to an athlete with his photographer on the back? Mm. I don't think so. So this is so complex that we said, okay, we need to do a full stop here 
we will have one photographer for the men's one photographer for the women we share all pictures with everyone who wants them um, the production uh, teams of the tv will uh, have all footage available for everyone who wants to take it pro athletes media etc free of charge but we have to limit it and this is why um that started before christmas we did this decision and then announced it in march and then in this those talks there was a very very interesting point as well laura philip um, and patrick um, got a penalty in kona but they weren't explained why it was a penalty no explanation no nothing and they said hey our our business is ruined by things like that at least i need to know why i'm getting penalized and why is no one speaking to me you know yeah i've always thought that was just really weird it was very weird <laughs> like we were sitting in front of tv here i was texting with julia uh, patrick's wife and i i couldn't believe it because i saw it on tv and i yeah and they said please we need a better communication to the referees so what we've also done apart from the bikes that we have now four pro referees on the men's side, four pro um, referees on the women's side. Those are all um, internationally educated um, referees, all speaking uh, English. We had a lot of briefings with them. And now we will bring them together on the Friday evening for a special briefing where it's about the rules that always make problems. The distance, uh, then uh, if they overtake, when can they get into the hole, when not? Mm -hmm. um, we speak about it, they get to know each other, that they kind of work as a team. Of course, the rules will be obeyed. Sure. But I think they're going to be better obeyed if they know each other and when both parties exactly are able to tell the other party what to expect. The, the pro athlete expects a proper addressing, you, number, etc. Um, drafting penalty. Yeah, that's a proper addressing. You know, the pro athlete can um, uh, address their aspects. You know, and I think we're gonna do a lot better than than ever before. And the pros are really, really happy that those initiatives have been taken. Yeah. So it sounds like the the changes in media started with the conversation of the pro athletes. Yeah. And then that funneled into making sure that their needs were met, meeting them in the middle. And then it sounds like the byproduct of that is cleaning up or has been to clean up just the amount of motorcycles yeah. out on course. Yeah. Um, With the possibility for media to still go on motorcycles and then the motorcycle drivers will drive the photographers from yeah. outside to the, like, to the race. Yeah. Wherever you want to go, yeah. because we don't want to limit right, the media. Right. You know, we have the media shuttle bus that is mm -hmm. going as well. So we want the media to have access and we don't uh, want to have uh, exclusivity on, on that. Not at all, but it's really about the fairness. We just don't need to be riding next to the pros yeah. for four hours. Exactly. Yeah. And then also, um, of course, it also brings a safety aspect. Mm -hmm. And that was very clearly uh, be visible after Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, I know you got to go. You've got an 11 o'clock. Your assistant was very, no yes. Um, but before we leave, yeah. um, can you describe three things that that kind of illustrate the experience that people have at Roth? Home of triathlon. Home of triathlon. Yeah, it's on all the flags and all the banners because really we feel home of all triathletes.
Yeah. It's um, it's an amazing magic atmosphere. Uh, the triathlon magazine Germany um, has called us Dream Factory. And this is exactly uh, what we're going to showcase together with the region uh, this coming Sunday. And I mean, with the pro field being there, it's just stellar. Yesterday, we announced that Jan Frodeno will be host of the international stream. I saw that. Stream. I saw that. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone is coming together. Everyone is here. Chrissy Welling will be coming. Chrissy I know. Welling. I can't wait. I have, it's been, it's been 10 years yeah. since I've seen her. Yeah. She's I, totally excited. Yes. That. Chrissy and Jan will both hand over medals to the age groupers. Then at nine o'clock, all the other pros come back to hand over medals. And it's going to be such a massive celebration of the sport. It's going to be really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Felix, we're so, we're so grateful to be here this week. Um, we're doing a lot of um, slow twitch type of coverage. We've got a lot of uh, you know bikes that we'll be shooting and, and going over there. But really, we're, we're here to just illustrate um, what you're doing that's special and unique um, with our with our community, um, because I think what you do is is the things that that the other big race organizations need to get back to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do believe that the Ironmans of the world used to do these things really, really well, mm -hmm. um, and with growth, they got away from that. Um, while I do think that the majority of their um, employees are, are really trying to get back to that, those groups roots, um, which is what you have encouraged Andrew Messick's to do. Um, I still think they could do a better job. And, uh, I, and I'm hoping that, um, you know, they'll be inspired a little bit. I wrote Andrew a three pages uh, email after the Hamburg uh, incident because I felt the urge to tell him what was really going on here, especially in Europe and especially in Germany. Um, just to, it, to also show him that mistakes that are being done by Ironman is not only harmful to Ironman, it's harmful to the whole community. It's harmful to all the races here. Um, the Dresden um, disaster last year when the race was being canceled in the week uh, of the event uh, because there were no um, no approvals. Um, the, the horrible incident in, in Hamburg and, and not so much talking about the motorcycle driver who was obviously not driving correctly and that could have happened anywhere yeah, uh, when you saw the, the pictures. Um, this is not a fault of Ironman at all. Um, but 18 motorcycles on eight athletes, this is not fair. Yeah. And we've lost so much there and it's Ironman is the clear market leader and we need um, the market leader to get back into a position to be a role model. And that is what Ironman has lost. And this is really sad. And so it took me, I think, four hours to, to write um, him uh, three pages. He replied very nicely. Um, and he was also uh, grateful that uh, I was very, very honest in, in the email. Um, he told me that the... Um, um, protocols are now being updated. I think it's not enough to update the protocols. And I really hope Ironman is getting back. And, and as I said before, that we all as a community sit together on the same table and look in our eyes and say, hey, how can we really uh, improve the sport, grow the sport? And um, Ironman shouldn't be outside of that. No, I, I agree. Um, we've got some follow-up uh, meetings with them as well, just to see what they have done so far yeah. and what they're going to continue to do. Yeah. Um, I know that there's a lot of meetings going on over yeah. there um, and, and it is very important to them. So hopefully they, uh, 
it'll be more action than words. So, Hopefully. Um, but Felix, thanks again for being on the episode. Um, if you're listening today, uh, we appreciate it and uh, be looking on the homepage this week for a lot of articles here at Roth. Okay.